Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 17. And again, in regards to the Reformation, you may not be aware that both Luther and Calvin were heavily persecuted for the stand that they took based on God's Word. William Tyndall, who produced the first English translation of the Bible, was actually martyred for his faith. So the Reformers knew, as we should know today, the importance of literally giving our lives for the sake of the gospel. And in doing so, I believe we capture this idea of to God alone be the glory. John chapter 17, follow along on your copy of God's word as I read the first five verses. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There is a sense in which the soli deo gloria, or to God alone be the glory, encapsulates all of the five solas. As Romans 11.36 tells us, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. Because all things really are from God through God, and to God's glory. And so we, along with our theological kindred of centuries past, need to live our lives based upon to God alone be the glory. See, God has come to us through the agency of Jesus Christ. God who became flesh. And this is for the eternal glory of God, even as Jesus acknowledged in his prayer to God. But grace, and the grace that we know, comes to us as a gift through Jesus Christ as sent to us from God. That's where we receive our justification. Justification by faith alone, which is from God, through God, and to God's glory. Scripture alone is given by God for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. The simplicities of these solas capture in so few words the eternal truths that are contained therein. Not to say we can contain or explain God, but rather that we would recognize God's truth in its simplest form. And just as God himself is beyond our complete comprehension may we never surrender our pursuit of God and His truth. To God alone be the glory. See, God's made His glory known. God's made Himself known in many different observable ways. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of what Scripture reveals. Through creation itself, God is revealed. In Romans chapter 1, it says that by creation... No one has an excuse to deny God. And then, of course, there were the signs given to the Egyptians as evidence of who God is. When the children of Israel got into the wilderness, there was the cloud 
When Moses was on Mount Sinai, there was the fire and, and all that encompassed the mountaintop above the tabernacle and in the tabernacle and even in the temple itself. God made himself known. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the psalmist goes on to write that the glory of God is above all the earth. It tells us where to sing to his glory. It tells us where to speak of his glory. It tells us that we're to ascribe glory to his name. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. Anyone who knows the loving kindness and the truth of God is instructed to give him glory. There are many reasons to glorify God beyond just in obedience to Scripture, but it's knowing that love and it's knowing that truth that He's made known to us that so changes our heart and brings us to a place to where we glorify Him just by the very lives that we live, the thoughts that we think, and the words that we speak. However, in our world today, in our multicultural, multi-pluralistic society, we must be cautious in how we think about God. We must be cautious. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, writes that it must be said with the greatest possible emphasis that those who hold themselves free to think of God as they like are breaking the second commandment. At best, they can only think of God in the image of man, the ideal man, or perhaps a superman. But God is not any sort of man. We were made in His image, but we must not think of Him as existing in ours. God is altogether different than we are. And He makes Himself known. Packer's point was that our only thoughts of God in regards to His glory, and especially in our understanding and pursuit of God, must be taken from God's Word. I dare say probably all of us in this room have had somebody else say something about us that we knew wasn't true. And maybe others who knew us knew it wasn't true, and they were quick enough to speak and say, oh no, she would have never done that. Or oh no, he would have never said anything like that. And they say that because of their knowledge of you. Folks, we've got to be so careful that in our knowledge of God, and especially in glorifying Him for who He is, our basis for that comes from His Word, not what just anyone else thinks or says. Sola Scriptura. That by God's Word alone. Let us be careful not to adopt the views of God common in our culture, but rather allow Scripture reveal to us who God is. Legan Duncan said that in a sermon, and I believe it so rings true for our culture today. David Van Drunen, professor of systematic theology and ethics at Westminster Seminary, writes this, they believed that glory was, first of all, 
an attribute of God, an attribute that he reveals in his world. Well, we've already seen that in his word, that his heavens, his creation, declares his glory. But secondarily, they recognize that God glorifies himself in part through the glorification of his people, such that believers reflect God's glory back to him through their worship and obedience. And I believe he captured exactly what Jesus was praying. If you see the words of those first few verses of John chapter 17 that we just read. Through his obedience, Jesus said. He said, I've done all that you've sent me to do. And there too we are called upon in our lives of worship and obedience to reflect the glory of God. This summary helps us with the perspective of God being glorified alone and that God's glory belongs to and is a reflection of who He is. Not who you might think He is, not who the latest book writer might think He is, not who the latest theologian who comes along might think He is, but according to God's Word. And the text makes this clear, obviously, in the prayer of Christ. But in Christ's prayer... We know that Jesus knew God, knew God's plan, knew God's mission for him, and as a result, Christ's obedience is what glorified God. Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth. Oh, that, that would be the prayer each morning when we awake and each evening when we go to bed. I glorified you on earth. And this idea of obedience and living to the glory of God is something that's replete throughout John's gospel and John's letters. We saw it in 1 John specifically. As John time and time and time again says that we can't love God if we don't love our brothers and sisters says, we don't love God if we don't live in obedience to His commands. See, this idea of love and obedience. And Jesus really drove this home in John's Gospel in the fifth chapter when after healing a man who was lame and being questioned about it. See, the religious leaders of His day got upset at this man who was walking away carrying his pallet saying, you're carrying your pallet on the Sabbath. How dare you? That's against the law. And the man said, well, the guy who healed me said to take my pallet and go home. And they said, who is this? And they said, Jesus. And then upon encountering Jesus, Jesus made this statement. Truly, I say to you, the son, speaking of himself, can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. What will they marvel at? They will marvel at the works of God. That's what Jesus is saying. And so here... The idea of obedience, unity, and glory is foretold in John's gospel before Jesus comes to this place where he can pray. Just as the lame man was healed, 
and those who claimed to be in the know when it comes to God were all bothered. Folks, let me tell you, God glorifies himself. And just as Jesus prayed, you can see it in John chapter 9, where the man who was blind, and the disciples' question was, why was this man born blind? Do you remember Jesus' answer? To glorify God. To glorify God. He was trying to set their theology aright. To say, look, everything that happens in this world is not only under the sovereign rule of God, but so that God alone would be glorified. That's a difficult concept for us to grasp because we're so stuck in the here and now. And Jesus coming to this time of prayer in John 17, just before he would face the cross, said, I glorified you here on earth. And that wasn't anything new to Jesus. What does the scripture tell us? Before the earth was even created, that the Trinity had already worked all this out. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us. So this wasn't anything new. It has to do with all the existence of all creation. That God would be glorified. And that God would be glorified in those who live in obedience to Him. Look at verse 4. Jesus prayed, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Let me summarize that for you. Obedience. I mean, parents, wouldn't you love your children to face you every day and say, I've accomplished the work that you had for me to do. Children, you want to shock your parents maybe to an early grave? Do that. That's what Christ was proclaiming. In our humanity, that's how God's love is reflected through us. In our obedience to Him. And it reflects God's glory because our obedience to God is not natural to us. Just like if your child came to you every day and said without you preempting it, I've done exactly what you want me to do today. How many parents would raise their hand and say, that's natural of my child? Well, let me tell you, you don't know your child. And so it's not natural that we would live that type of life. But God, through His Holy Spirit, brings us to that place to where we live and reflect the glory of God. We don't all have the same gifting of the Holy Spirit, but we all have the Holy Spirit of God to bring us to obedience. And that's vital that we understand that. See, the details of glorifying God are the results of what Jesus Christ prayed. And I want you to see what Jesus Christ prayed. You can read later in John chapter 17 that he prayed it not only for those who were immediately there, but for those who would follow because of their word. And the first aspect of this glorifying God is in unity. Look at verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. Jesus is speaking of himself in relation to his followers. And I come to you, Holy Father, 
Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Folks, let me tell you, the Trinity has eternally existed in unity. And in this eternal unity, Christ is praying that those who would come after him would live in this unity. And just as the Trinity is unified, so we too in Christ are in God. And unity in Christ is not something that's conjured up. It's not something we have to groan for. It's something that already exists. And Christ is praying that we would come into that unity. He prayed for this unity and this protection in God. And the life that we live in Christ is glorifying to God as we live in unity. How selfish and detracting it is from God's glory that someone would claim to be a child of God and not be part of the community of God. I want want you to think about that. Christ in no way prayed that as individuals they would glorify me. Christ prayed that we, the followers of Christ, would be unified as the Trinity is unified. That's vital in glorifying God. It's a mockery of Christ's prayer and God's glory to think you're serving as a child of God when you're off by yourself. This is serious stuff. God is not glorified in that. Unity is a result of being in Christ's prayer and Christ's prayer for unity. He even comes back to it later in the chapter in verses 22 and 23 when he prays to God, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Jesus did not pray that I have given the glory to him or to her. He prayed that his glory would be given to them. And that they would be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That we may be perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. And that you love them even as you have loved me. See, none of this can be separated in regards to glory. In fact, count how many times glory is mentioned through John chapter 17 as we have this prayer of Jesus recorded. This is serious. And the love of God is evidenced in the unity of the Trinity through Christ. And God's glory is reflected in us as we are unified in Christ. And in this unity, God glorifies himself by protecting us. Look at verse 15. Jesus prayed, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus was serious. And Jesus Christ prays for our protection from the evil one as we are unified in glorifying God. God is glorifying himself as he did in Christ through his people by way of sanctification. It's this 
process that we're going to go through. Thus, God allows us to face tests and trials. But Jesus prayed that we would be protected. Martin Luther wrote, This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, but healing. It's not being, but becoming. It's not rest, but exercise. That's a great definition of sanctification right there in regards to God at work in us. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished. But it is going on, and this is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. That's the process that God's taking us through, knowing the protection we have and the unity as we walk through this together. God's glory is revealed through God's work, and God's work glorifies God. God at work in us will glorify God not us. That's the best personal gauge. Who are you looking to get the recognition? Oh, well, pastor, I don't cuss like I used to. You can brag about that all day long. How about just living a life that reflects the glory of God? And in doing so, I think it'll be evident that you don't cuss like you used to. God's work in us is to glorify God. Yet somehow we still want some aspect of recognition. Folks, some of the most incredible earthly miracles that took place, that Jesus performed, do you remember what he followed him up with? Don't tell anyone. Do a reading of the Gospels and see how many times Jesus did some incredible miracle. And he said, don't tell anyone. Boy, that flies in the face of social media, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but on social media, I need to let everyone know how good of a Christian I am. I would beg to differ. In fact, my question would be, does your social media reflect what God's doing in and through you? Whole different perspective. And I want us to feel the weight of what Christ was praying here as he faced agony beyond human comprehension, knowing that the cross was immediately before him, that he would be taking God's wrath and be forsaken by God. That's the broader context. And yet, Jesus is praying for us. And he's praying that God would be glorified. So many times when we face the most difficult times in life, we're asking God for rescue. Oh, that we would be praying that he would be glorified. See, the, the key for Christ facing the weight of the world comes in what he mentioned in verse 13 of John chapter 17. These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And what's the basis of that joy? Verse 14, I've given them your word. See, there's no earthly circumstance that should remove 
from us the joy of the Father, the joy of us having the opportunity to know God. Christ has given himself, and in his giving of himself, in the midst of the most difficult circumstance he was facing, I would admonish us today, as Scripture later comments on what Christ would go through, through the author of Hebrews, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. God's glory revealed is in Christ. Jesus Christ is God's glory. That's what he said in his prayer. And that's what he prays for us, is that we would live in a way that God's glory would be revealed. God has given to us neither circumstance nor station in life that would affect or should affect him being glorified. And if I can call on the words of the Reformers one last time before we wrap up this series, Martin Luther was quoted as having said this, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. And Romans 11 sums it up nicely. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory alone. Would you join me in a word of prayer?